Hello and welcome back to another episode of Second Player Press Starts. My name is James and as always I'm joined by my friends and Guy on the Couch. Guy on the Couch, that's me Darren. I'm here back as usual. It's been a while though, hasn't it? It feels like it's been a while. Yeah, the um, the summer is here and uh, yeah, things have kind of popped up in both of our lives, which has made kind of getting together to record a podcast a little trickier than normal. Um, hopefully we can kind of get back to our regularly scheduled rate of posting a podcast every two weeks. Sounds good. Um and yeah, I'm not too sure if there will be a video version. Um, if you caught the last two video versions, there was some technical issues. Um, the audio still turned out fine, which is, I think, our like first and foremost priority. Sure. As a podcast, um, you want it to sound good. Um, but yeah, I might have to go back to the drawing board a little bit and kind of get the video stuff figured out. Um, so until then... Uh, we'll just keep doing this audio thing because uh, I think we've kind of got that down. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been especially, fair. especially with this new fangled mic I'm using. Yeah, so so Darren's rocking my old microphone. Oh, really? Yeah, um, <laughs> which is actually a way more expensive microphone than the one that I'm using, but um, in theory, it should sound better from both of us, but. Um, I guess we'll see when I listen back sure. to this recording and, uh, and, uh, yeah, hopefully I won't have to edit it too much, but, um, we're here not to chat about, uh, the ins and out of podcast audio editing. Uh, we'll save that topic for another day. Um, but we're here to talk about a game that we both played on the personal computer, the PC, the, uh, what, what's another name for it? The IBM compatible? Isn't that what they used to call them? Um, yeah, so I think I mentioned uh, a while back I've recently built a computer and I've kind of been diving into the world of PC gaming and trying some games that um, I guess even though this game is available on console, it really is a PC game. Hmm. Uh, this is a free-to-play action role-playing game um, and the game is called Path of Exile. Um, it's published by Grinding Gear Games, which is a studio I've never heard of before. They're based in New Zealand actually, one of the larger developers out huh. of New Zealand. Crazy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I guess this is been in like open beta phase uh, for a little bit and then it was released in October 2013. Uh, there's an Xbox version that was released in August 2017, and then uh, they've recently released a PlayStation 4 version. Um, I'd be interested to see how this game plays on those platforms. Sure. Yeah. Um, just because it is such a... a pe like, yeah, you need a mouse to play this game um, unless they've adapted... Uh, control scheme that works for it on consoles but yeah as as an arpg action rpg i feel like if you could control your character's movement with one stick and then hack and slash or cast spells 
with some combination of other buttons. Yeah. As long as your direction worked, it would almost could almost feel like a twin stick shooter in some capacity. Yeah. Depending on the character class you were playing or whatever. Uh, but you're right. Yeah. In in the PC version we played. To attack enemies, you click on them with your mouse button. Yeah, which means your mouse is all over the place all the time. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, we both downloaded this game. Um, it's a free-to-play game, so there was no cost to download it. Um, Correct. Other than your bandwidth cap, but I think this game was about fifty-ish gigs. Yeah. Um, what I find interesting is that um, uh, it's been. I still have it running on Steam, and it's been updated with patches that are like a gig or two in size yeah. every time. So from what I understand from their development cycle, they do this, like, this is a very actively developed game. Uh, so even though it's free to play, and even though it's been out since 2013, their development schedule is just on point. Like, they're just pushing out content like crazy. Yeah. Um, and I think remembering back, like... I ran into an install problem where I had to then re-download the game again. Oh, okay. Which was a bit of a pain, but sure. um, once I re-downloaded it, it was pretty smooth sailing. Right. Um, so, yeah, we kind of hopped online and we both launched the game at the same time. Yeah. And I think we were hit into kind of that wall where we face not as severe as what we faced in Destiny 2. Right, right. Where we had to play a little bit um, by ourselves before we could kind of join together. Right. Um, which, from one point, like, I understand, like, why they do that. Because you want the player to kind of focus in on, like, here's kind of a tutorial right. of yeah. how to play this game. On the other hand, like it would be nice to kind of experience that with you, um, kind of by my side, so we can kind of communicate to each other. Sure. Maybe there's something I missed or something you missed, or right, right, right. Um, to kind of go through that together. But the the beginning part really was like 10, 15 minutes, from what I remember. It wasn't. It wasn't long. It wasn't long. What they do is they drop you on a beach. The the conceit behind Path of Exile is that you are exiled to this island area, um, and you know every other player player in the game is a character that's been exiled, um, and you're just fighting for survival. So you start washed up on this shore, and then there's this opening sequence where you're fighting some. Uh, zombie type creatures and then you fight this big zombie lord and then you get to this first town hub um, but i if i remember correctly another challenge that we had though was the way that they do server instancing so by them pushing content out regularly they have a league system where they release i think their schedule is like once a quarter they release essentially a big expansion and they change some of the, some of the mechanics. They change elements of the game, some of the story, and then you can play through the whole thing with these new elements sprinkled throughout the world. And they reset the in-game economy so that you essentially start over. It just it's a it's a hard reset for the world. And if you play in standard mode, um, you're not doing any of the new mechanisms. You're playing the vanilla game, or at least I understand it from, from the little time that I spent in the game. 
Um, so I pick standard mode, assuming that, hey, I don't want these extra things. I just want to see what this game has to offer at the base level of play. But I think it defaulted to this new league, which is what you entered in in the first time. Something yeah, to that effect. I think um, just because I was kind of uh, a little behind you, I just kind of clicked on the first thing. Sure. Like I didn't really pay much attention, just but fastest clicks to get to playing. Yeah. Kind of thing. So I, I think um, obviously they would probably want to promote that that league sure. thing sure. up front. So I think you know I didn't really read. I just kind of clicked through. And then we figured out, well, if I'm playing this league thing, I can't connect with you. Right, right. Because um, you're effectively on a different server or a different instance or shard or whatever you want to yeah. call it of that server space so that the people playing that can group together and the people playing the version I was playing can group together. Uh, but once we solve that, uh, I think, did you have to play through that first sequence again? Yeah, I had to play through it twice. But again, yeah. that was like, what, five, ten minutes, like you said, right? It yeah, wasn't the, significant. The second time was um, a lot quicker because I kind of just steamrolled my way through it. Because sure, I kind of sure. had a grasp of what was going on. But Right. Now, speaking of the idea of jumping, diving right into co-op, we did have that huge complaint in terms of Destiny 2. And this is... It's not as much a barrier to entry, but when when you say that this game has been put out on the PlayStation or the Xbox, right? I'm thinking of the ARPGs that we've played couch co-op, right? And you think of the the Marvel Ultimate Alliance games and the X-Men games and the um, what are some other like ARPGs, the Baldur's Gate stuff from Well, even um, Diablo mm -hmm. 3 came to console, and I know that's okay. a very different experience to gotcha. how it plays on the PC. Yeah, and I, I haven't played uh, Diablo 3 in any any capacity. Yeah, But the reason I bring up, say, Marvel Ultimate Alliance and stuff is the way that that game is built, and even some of the originals going back to the original Xbox, which I still play from time to time um, with, with my son or whatever, right? Um, you can drop in, drop out in that game wherever you want in the game. And the game starts you with four heroes on the screen. And if you're not playing with three other players, then those are AI controlled until you make the decision of what style of game you want to play. And then maybe there's only two on the screen because you're only playing with the two players. And you can do that right from the beginning. And like you said, it's still the tutorial mode, but you're working through that together in some capacity. Yeah. And to be fair, I would argue that the tutorial in an action RPG, until you get into the depth of the mechanisms where you're kind of figuring out what is leveling up look like, what do spells or special abilities or superpowers or whatever look like, um, that's a pretty easy entry into it because it's hack and slash, right? The core mechanism is get closer to an enemy and hit your attack button right if you're a melee character or you know aim at them with your range character yeah. and hit the attack button so there's not much of um not much of a ramp up in terms of of that core mechanism or that core game loop right attack the thing it drops the loot pick up the loot and rinse and repeat yeah so i think it would be totally possible to just put both people in that same zone right from the beginning because as soon as we got to that hub world we're like okay there you are you're waiting there for me yeah and that was that and then we just from that point forward just ran everything together yeah um but there still was like some communication that needed to happen between us as far as like oh i'm gonna chat with um 
buddy over here who where I can claim in my um you know the items that I don't need I can right like recite. a shop or a market yeah. or something like that um so you know give me five minutes to kind of figure this out right um and then we'll kind of hop in together and then sure when I go to this area I'm gonna let you know that I am like there it's not seamless in that respect where it doesn't automatically jump me to where you are it's kind of like we have to communicate right, right. Um, in a sense that, okay, now it's time to go. So I will either follow you or you follow me. Now, I do remember um, later on finding some sort of teleport option, but I think it, it moved you to like waypoints. They use a waypoint system in the game. So once yeah. you unlock a certain gate or portal or whatever, you can jump to those locations throughout the map so that you don't have to run the whole thing again though like get from point a to point b in the map you can just jump right in the middle of it uh so i think there was a point where if i was already in an instance of this map you could jump to that waypoint but it would put you in at the entrance of that which right. might not be where i'm standing yeah um but the i mean the challenge there is that unlike a couch co-op game they're they're using totally different cameras right yeah Whereas a couch co-op, you've got one camera and it zooms out to fit everybody on the screen. <clears throat> so you can't leave a certain zone without either somebody getting pulled into your zone or vice versa. And we see that even in the Mario games, Mario Party and stuff like that, where when one person gets out of the zone, they jump into a bubble or something like that. Yeah. And get pulled back. Yeah. Kind of like uh, lassoed into the area where most of the action is happening. Right. Whereas in this game, even though we're partied, you could go anywhere you wanted to go. You could get yourself killed and, and nobody would be there to save you if yeah. that's how you wanted to run it. And that's similar to Borderlands or other other right. four-player four co-op type games we've played before. Um, maybe not even on this podcast, but where you're, you're essentially playing a single-player game and you determine as players in your communication how much interaction you want in your party yeah. versus just running the thing yourself and maybe once in a while having to bail the other person out of a, you know, of a jam or getting surrounded or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, I guess this is just one of those games, like, like some of the games you just mentioned where maybe it wasn't design designed from the ground as a co-op game, but mm. um, you can play it together, which, right. uh, I appreciate. Um, I'd rather have it there than not. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And um, it does a, a better job than Destiny 2 did as far as, um, okay, well, well, after, you know, five minutes, you guys, you can now kind of play this single-player game together. Right, right. Um, which, uh, yeah, which I think is fine. Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, again, with the comparison to Destiny, I didn't go through a loading screen that then when it finished loading, put me in another loading screen that when that finished loading, then I got some nice, mu the music changed and then the screen changed and then I was loading again. Yeah. So that was a positive experience at least. For it loaded sure. once and then I played the game, which, yeah. you know, that's, that's my expectation. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, that entry point though, when we first load up the game, because we're in this, um, we're being introduced to this world that we haven't played in before. We're being introduced to a game that we've got no other context for than what's presented on the screen. How did you find that initial character decision? 
Like, which character am I going to play? What were your thoughts on that? If just, just to, because I, I wrote some notes here, but just to um, reiterate, there was, um, you were in this kind of uh, courtroom type thing. It was very, very shadowy. Mm-hmm. And your class, all the characters were in this, uh, like, sh- had cast shadow on them. And then as you chose a character, that character would step forward into the light. Yeah. And then there'd be like this voiceover that sounded like it was from a judge in the background in this court type scenario because you're being cast, you're being exiled to this island. Right. And then they do, do this little voiceover narration about your character. And that was pretty much all you got. You got to see what they look like and you got to hear a little bit of voiceover narration. But otherwise, that was about it. It was mostly just lore driven character selection. Yeah. How did you feel about that? Um. I honestly, I didn't pay a ton of attention because generally with these type of games, um, like even when I played Diablo 3, I kind of just go for the melee character or the kind of warrior character. Um, Those are usually my go-to kind of start guys. Um, So I just kind of found that character class. Yeah, yeah. That was the one that I picked. So, right. Um, and again, maybe because I was just kind of rushing through to get sure um, to kind of catch up with you. Um, yeah, I didn't pay. To be honest, I didn't pay a ton of attention to it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because I remember we had to pick classes in Destiny, and I re- I keep referring to this not only because we played it more recently than other ones, but it was one of the. Um, more recent games that we played in this version of co-op we also did warframe in this way yeah and in both destiny and warframe you pick and this game you pick from certain character classes and they're all presented to you in a certain way from the beginning and some of these games give more information um to the mechanisms and some uh lean more to the lore and then some there's kind of this balance between how much information do we give and i was i was a little disappointed in this because it was so lore based that I couldn't tell just from reading or having the the narrative read to me, I guess the voiceover, how this character would play. Like it sounded like to me when you're talking about the melee character, you're like, okay, this in visually, this is the biggest character on the screen. If I click him and it says warrior, then I'm like, that's my guy. Yeah. That's, so, yeah. So go play. Right? Yeah. Um, for me, I went through all of them um, because I was interested in trying to understand what are the play styles presented here, right? And I've played action RPGs before, but there was some characters in there. I think there's a witch, which I kind of assumed was like a mage spellcaster, but there was also like a necromancer or something like that. Um, there was a range character, there was the melee character, but then I think there was one or two more classes in addition. So I felt like I didn't get have enough information to make a decision that I was happy with. That doesn't mean that, um, you know, I I had to play through all of them to then make a decision to play. Because right. once I picked one, I was like, okay, um, I'll just go on from here. Yeah. And once I discovered the other mechanisms of the game, which we'll we'll get into for sure, I realized it was it wasn't that that decision at the front end wasn't as important anymore. At least for my first playthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas other games, they're like these are some of the special moves that you get with this character, or this is this, they'll talk about it from a lore, like a lore perspective. And they'll give maybe a paragraph of who this character is in the world. 
but then they'll give a very meta description, right? Uh, this is a this is a range damage dealer, and or this is this is your basic frontline tank character that does this kind of thing or protects your whatever, right? But there was no meta in this at all. It was very much lore driven, right? Um, and I was it was a very interesting. The reason I bring it up is because, like I said, from what I heard about this game, my expectations were that this decision was very significant into the way that you build your character going forward, like in any other class-based um, RPG. So that the decision I was making here seemed like it should be more significant than it was, and that I should be given more information than I was. But I wonder if that's because this game has been going for so long and it resets all the time, that it's more a matter of pick a character and fool around with them. Yeah. See what you feel about it. <clears throat> try different builds, try different things, because if you keep playing through our leagues, it's going to reset anyway, and that's right. the fun of it. And if not, you could grow this character to level whatever the cap is and get all this awesome gear, um, and then do that for every other class if you want. Yeah. And I guess maybe that's um, a kind of good jumping-off point to talk about guess one of the reasons they call it path of exile is just the okay you you start with a certain class but mm -hmm. the amount of paths quote unquote you can take as far as developing skills right, and right. the skill tree um we both kind of opened that up at the same time <laughs> and the like sheer shock of hearing yeah. you and then myself react to like I've seen large skill trees in sure, games, sure. but <laughs> this, like, I, I, I was kind of speechless of mm. like, oh, well, this thing keeps zooming out. Right. right. And, um, yeah, there was like, a, I, like, how would you describe it? It was just like an endless, like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't even know what to say. Um, the the idea of, and and I dug a little more into this after the fact because yeah. <clears throat> there's no way we could get all the nuance of the mechanisms and the systems in the time that we played through it. Yeah, but I was compelled enough to kind of dig a little more. Um, and that entire skill tree is a passive system. And what's what I find fascinating about that is that any any choice that you make on that skill tree is number one they're all discrete choices so based on the class you pick you start at a different location in the skill tree so i think maybe there's five or six classes so it what it does is you start um, in the center of the tree with your starting location and then from there then you decide do i want to go this branch or do i want to go x branch or y branch and y branch gives me more maybe defensive ability yeah. and X branch gives me more offensive ability, right? So now I've made a discrete choice between effectively just two choices, right? So the thing at the large scale looks totally overwhelming, but you realize with one skill point, you get to make one decision. Um, and it brings it right back from this huge macro to this very micro decision. Right. So now, you're, you're just kind of choosing between A and B. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And what I find really interesting about that, going back to the passive thing is that all of these skills only augment your numbers, your stats. Yeah. This is like plus plus 10% speed or plus 10% damage or whatever it is or plus 1 defense or whatever whatever the number systems are, right? Which means it doesn't actually affect your 
active play. It does mean that if you want to focus more towards damage on your attacks or speed on your attacks, over time, if you keep going in that direction, your playstyle is going to change as you level up. Um, but it, it also means, though, that what you're not doing at this point is saying, I want to do this action versus this other action. Whereas you'd see in some of those other action RPGs where you're like, do I choose this spell or do I choose that special ability, right? Right. Um, where it's a very active form of decision making where you're saying, this is the way that I want to play instead of this is the buff that I want to get to the thing that I'm already doing. And I found that a really interesting way to look at it because if I wanted to zoom out and see, okay, can I get all the way up to this location on the tree? And what is the best way for me to get there? Like dot to dot to dot to dot. Um, I can do that. But if I just have, all it's asking me is to make one discrete decision between A and B, do I want to be more attack focused or defense focused? Well, I feel like today I'm going to be more attack focused and that's okay. It might not be um, the optimal build, right? So when you jump on the forums and you're like, oh, I want to play this particular uh, class with these subclasses to focus on this kind of thing. This is the optimal way to build this character. Yeah. When I first play through the game, I'm not really that interested in that because I don't, I want to experience it. I don't want to just have somebody have mathed it out for me so that I pick one, then four, then seven, then 10 or whatever. Yeah. Right. So that was an interesting thing to me. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, what that skill tree kind of communicated to me is like, if you want to max out, say, your speed, mm -hmm. you really have to be devoted to sure. going yeah. down that one path. Right, absolutely. Um, it doesn't, I mean, I guess the more time you put into the game, the more you can kind of distribute and evenly build up mm -hmm. your character, right? But. It seems like if you really want to focus on one thing, you can do that. Right. And it'll take you a very long time right. to probably reach the end of that kind of uh, skill tree. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was uh, it was pretty daunting mm. seeing that. Um, but then I figured, well, in the time that we're going to play it, we're only going to explore. Like you said, it's kind yeah. of coming down to those A or B or C or D choices. Sure. Um, you don't have to focus too much on uh, the grand scheme of things. Right. Um, right. So you can examine it at that micro level, hmm. which is, uh, which is nice. Um, so we're washed up on this beach. Um, yep. Like I'll say right away, like visually the game really, impressed me like yes absolutely i like i've the only thing that i can really compare it to that i've played lately would be diablo 3 okay. um, which i've played maybe about like six months ago um i purchased it and i, I played through a little bit um because even compared to that like this just seems like a really grittier mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. uh more realistic kind of take on that formula. Sure. Um, and yeah, I was like, visually I was quite blown away with all the little details and texture work and, uh, animations and right. Yeah, um, absolutely. It seems like a lot of work went into 
kind of the technical aspects of this game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I was I was quite impressed. Yeah, I agree. I feel like um, from again cursory research, this they've continually worked towards updating these kinds of things. Yeah. So what we see today isn't what it looked like when it first launched, and that's that's great. Like my expectations would be that these things are updated. In fact, in this new league that we were playing in, they had just updated uh, a melee character mechanism in terms of the way the fight animations and things like that kind of work together. And right. it was kind of an overhaul on melee combat, which like, who knows, right? Because I never played it before. So I couldn't tell you how it was better, how it was different. And you were the guy playing the melee character. Yeah. So I couldn't even speak to what those differences would be. But it sounded like from the little update on Steam that that was a pretty big deal, right? Especially to a lot of the player base as well. Like it, they had been talking about it for a long time. And it, it required a lot of uh, digging into the systems of the game because there were so many interconnected parts to it. Um so I thought that was that was really interesting. Uh, I played a little bit. There were some sequences where it might have been just after you left as well, or if I logged in an, like another day later or something like that. But there's some sequences in some like sea cave areas where I was genuinely scared. Like the the atmosphere was there and the, the visuals and the sound. And I was playing with headphones. Yeah. And I was running through this dark cave and my... Um, my, my visual scope for my character was, was slim because the light would only cast so far for my character. And I w- it was very reminiscent of some of those when I played like Diablo for the first time mm-hmm. way back in the day. And I'm going through this dungeon and there's these things jumping out at me and these crazy monsters. And, um, there was like, there was enough tension there that I felt like I felt afraid yeah. and it was neat because I didn't expect that from an action RPG. I never would have expected that. Um, and just to speak to that atmosphere and the sound design and the visuals and all that all added to that atmosphere. And I was really impressed. Yeah, for sure. Even, yeah, the, the couple hours that we played, like you start off on the beach and then you go to this like kind of old town. And then at one point we were in like this jungle and then we went to those like underground caves, like yeah. even like two hours in just the sheer amount hmm. of like different locations and even the enemies and things you were attacking too, like the variation there. It wasn't like you right. were fighting the same thing over and over right. again right? and having to maneuver the same way. Um, there was quite a lot of variety. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, there was, for example, like even even in the monster, the way the monsters worked, uh, there was some in, in, you know, a little bit further on that would like, they would dive at you really fast or like jump at you from across the screen kind of thing yeah. versus swarming you versus like the the big monster that would cast a spell or, or things like that. And it did feel like even though, yes, it's point and click that I'm I'm realizing that certain abilities will help me maneuver better than others or that certain uh, spells or certain things like that will help me in, in this circumstance versus these types of monsters a lot better, or I'll be more effective against these types than I will against this other type. And that was just, again, part of the learning curve in terms of the experience of play, 
not, I didn't read anything about this. There was no tooltip that said this, this spell or this arrow is better versus these types of monsters. Um, it was just like, because it's an action RPG and because I'm doing so much combat in the game, um, as soon as I find a new spell, I want to try it out and see what happens and then realize over time that as I deal with these types versus these types, some are more effective than others. So that was an interesting, um, interesting presentation of the, uh, pedagogy of play, right? The, mm. the learning sequence of play that said, I'm learning about the game by playing the game without being taught through this um, very explicit teaching moment. Yeah. And that was neat. That was neat. That was pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> the other thing that I liked when we're, as we were playing through it was um, obviously in these games, it's all about the gear, right? Like sure. the, the items you get, but it seems like for every item or every weapon, there were these like jewel slots. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the little colored. Um, sure. Kind of slots. And uh, I started to really get into like um, making sure that those slots were full. Hmm. Um, like kind of micromanaging that stuff. I found. Right. right. Weirdly enough, kind of fun and addicting, hmm. um, which is usually not something that I'm like so focused in in those systems. But right, right. Um, there was something satisfying about you know opening up my inventory and kind of seeing, oh, I need a green thing for that. Right. Um, so I gotta collect this to get that. Gotcha. Um, which I guess is the way these games should work because it gives you then incentive for. Hmm for kind of playing and uh, gathering uh, the gear that you need to kind of be more powerful, right? Could you could you speak to maybe, and maybe you haven't really thought through this, but what was different about this presentation or this game or, or even just this stage of your life, right? Because it was six months ago since you played a game similar. Yeah. That made this a little bit more engaging for you or, or gave you a desire to... I, like move forward through it or want to take that next step? Um, yeah, I mean, Diablo 3, I, I I sunk a good amount of time into, and it's something that I want to go back to. Um, and that game, I feel like if you want to get into this genre, that game's probably quite perfect to to just jump in because even someone like myself mm -hmm. who typically doesn't play a lot of these type of games, um, there isn't a lot to it. Like it's pretty straightforward and pretty simple. Mm. Um, and I guess coming off of that game and then coming into path of exile, it just kind of, it opens up a few more kind of things to kind of think about as you're playing that add a bit more interest. Okay. Um, it's kind of like putting the icing on the cake, right? Interesting. Like Diablo three could just be your base cake. Right. right. And then um, path of exile just seems to be adding that little extra layer on top. Hmm. Um, but I think there's many more layers to this game that right. even we haven't probably discovered yet. For sure. For sure. Um, which for me, my, my only danger would be 
would this game kind of then introduce too many things where it starts to go over my head? Mm. Like I do like the simplicity of Diablo three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but maybe I am looking for something that has a little bit more to it. Right. But I don't, I don't want the game to become a chore where it just becomes too much to learn Mm -hmm. um, at at once. But then if it handles it like the way it does with some of the skill tree stuff where it's like, just focus on this for now. Um, Don't be too concerned about the overall picture. Right. And then you kind of ease your way in Mm. um, rather than being kind of bombarded with um, a lot of stuff at once. Sure. Which would be my fear of kind of... uh, does it hit a point where it's like, ah, now you've just thrown way too much stuff at me. Right. Now I'm overwhelmed and now I do I even risk continuing? Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, it's interesting because um so from from a tabletop experience, one of the things that I find is different there is that uh similar to video games, you've got your casual things and you've got your um like hardcore games, right? If you want to make that kind of Uh, distinction or that dichotomy and what happens in tabletop is that you have a game that is solely about one mechanism so this is about card drafting right and in this game we look at our hand of cards we pick one card from it and then we pass what's ever left in the hand that we didn't pick to the next player and then we get the player to our right pass us their card so then we pick one more card out of it and that's drafting right and there's some games that that's the core mechanism and that's pretty much all you do. And then at the end of the game, all of your collected cards, you just add up however they add up together. And who, the winner is the person with the most points, right? Right. Um, now, as an intro game, if you've never drafted cards before or played a game like this before, that's a great gateway, right? A gateway game. Like we've talked about gateway drugs, right? Yeah. You know, marijuana. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, my God. Right? Um, but a gateway game in this way introduces you to a mechanism that lets you play in a different way than you've played before and opens up this this new world of mechanism, right? Of game mechanism. And the game doesn't have to be much more than that because there's still enough interest there if it's new to you. For sure. Whereas you can add more, uh, if you add in another layer of a system or something like that on top of it, and now we're doing drafting in amidst this other thing, um, that becomes the next stepping stone towards more quote-unquote hardcore games yeah now i don't see that happening necessarily as much in video games in my opinion and you might you might have a different perspective on this so i'd love to hear it but what i hear you saying in this is that if diablo 3 is the kind of the intro to action rpgs yeah um and i've played enough of that this i'm paraphrasing for you i've played enough of that um that, you know, I kind of had my fill on it, but as soon as this one came along and it, it does fulfill that, but it also gives me these extra layers that I find really compelling that just simply weren't there in Diablo three. So now I've got this extra part to sink my teeth into, and it will give me that staying power that I couldn't get from, uh, a game with less of those layers or less of those systems or left less of those mechanisms. Yeah. Is that, that, that yeah, 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 you okay. kind of nailed it there. Yeah, that's kind of what I was uh, trying to say. Um, yeah, my only fear is that um, if I play more of this game, is it going to get to a point where I'm kind of getting in over my head 
as someone who's kind of relatively new to these games. Like Mm. I've kind of dipped my toe in the water, so to speak, but I don't want to fall in and drown. Right. 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 Yeah. That's interesting. Cause that's, that's one thing. And where, where your perspective is different than mine in that case, because that idea of overwhelm from like information overload, when it comes to learning about a thing, it is frustrating and I will definitely drop a game for that. But it's almost like, it's almost like I push that anxiety out in the sense that until that game does that to me, right. I don't care. Yeah. Right. And I don't anticipate it. And maybe you've been, maybe you've been burned by certain games before where that's happened. Yeah. Um, and it's enough for you to like be a little wary, right. Be a little bit cautious because I don't want that to happen again. And it's frustrating and I don't like, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Don't take it away from me kind of thing. Yeah. For me, maybe I just feel about that differently, but that anxiety isn't there to the point where um, I'll just play until I hit that. And then I make the decision. Like I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Maybe part of it too is from, from the design perspective is just like um, looking at it and saying, kind of like I was talking about with the, the tabletop, is that I see what you're trying to do, but you've gone too far, right? You've, yeah. You haven't presented it in such a way, or instead of adding depth to a game, you're just adding complexity. And the complexity is scaling and scaling and scaling, but you're not adding any more value to the game. Right. Right? You're just adding these layers upon layers of systems that interact that force me to do more things but it's not making the experience any better. Yeah. And I've seen that happen in tabletop and video games and just the whole gamut of it, right? Um, and that's that's always frustrating to me because again, it's like, you're just putting everything, like you know, the kitchen sink expression, right? I just yeah. threw everything in there, including the kitchen sink. Like this this mechanism's cool and this this style's cool and this this uh, system and this combat and this, that. And that's that's where I see a lot of open world stuff going. And that's why everybody's just grab like there's just this influx of open world where it's like, well, that's the trend. Yeah. So even indie games are like, well, we got to do an open world system and we got to have this map overlay and we got to, I'm like, maybe you don't, right? Maybe you can be that small casual thing where you're introducing one core loop, one core game loop, one core mechanism. Yeah. And it's just a small game and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's tough from a developer standpoint because this game's free to play. Like, you don't want to make it... I mean, that's got to be a tough design decision because on one hand, you want to attract guys like me Hmm. that, you know, are are fairly new to this game. But then, like, your, your core target market who are these, you know, more harder core guys. Um, you got to have something there for them that will keep them there and, uh, and keep them, you know, spending money or whatever it is that you're right, doing right. to, uh, to make money on your free to play game. Mm-hmm. Um, like you got to keep those guys happy, but then it's got to be accessible enough for, Again, guys like me to kind of step in and say, oh, this is kind of neat. Right. And right. Um, I kind of get it like at the start. 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think of what other games that kind of did that. The only one that I can think of is State of Decay 2 that we played. Yeah, yeah. Where it kind of had that weird kind of ramp where it kind of started off as this pretty simple, like, zombie survival game. And right, then it, right. it, like, the curve just kind of, like, hockey-sticked up. These With these meta systems and, uh, like, building things. Yeah. And, right, right, right. And, uh, yeah, at that point, I was like, yeah, I'm out. I'm out of this because mm-hmm. it was just too much. Right. Um, but maybe I'll take your advice of, like, I'll cross that bridge mm. once I come to it. Um, because, yeah, we didn't hit that point, at least in this game. Right. I could see the potential of getting there because there was a lot going on in the game. But Yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't feeling overwhelmed. Sure. Um, at that point just yet but it's it's interesting because um i feel like that first introduction to the passive skill tree was like a microcosm of what you're talking about right yeah you open the screen you're like omg like how do i even go about this where where am i what am i looking at what does this mean i i do I have to pick like a hundred things right now or what? Right. Yeah. And then with, again, without any further intro or explicit teaching moment by the game, you're like, okay, I have one point I can go here or here. And it just takes a second to kind of reframe the situation, reframe the problem and be like, this is what I need to do. Yeah. A decision between up or down or a or B. Right. Um, and I found that in another location in the game too, which was their loot system. Now, at first I was super frustrated because my inventory was so, it seemed so small. Like I couldn't pick up everything I wanted. And every time I found a waypoint, I'd go back to town, sell off all my junk, and then go back out to where I came from and pick up a whole bunch more stuff and then come back to town. And when I started getting frustrated about it, um, on a there a, a little bit longer of a timeline, I, I started to realize, okay, well, what am I getting from this loot? Every time I trade it in, I get sharp like pieces of other tradable items. And the one thing that I realized is number one, this the the way that they built the system because of the conceit of being exiled on this island, everything is a tradable good. So there is no, there's no um, coin or monetary economy. There's no money whatsoever, right? You don't find gold that you can then buy things with. You find items that you trade with, in this case, the NPC market sellers. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, this shield is worth three parts of this, this scroll to uh, this identify scroll or something like that, right? Um, so what I realized over time was that if all of these types of items were only worth one or two of these shards of pieces, right, then it didn't really didn't matter what I picked up. Um, only that if I found higher tier stuff, then I was getting more shards out of it. Or if I found a special like color, then it would turn into this other type of item. So it just became a matter of, um, Going back to you talking about those slottable gems, yeah. Right? If I'm wearing a shield, say, or if I'm using a shield or a body armor or whatever, 
that has a green slot in it, right? And I have got a green gem. Like, okay, great, it fits together, right? And now later on, I pick up this blue gem, but I've got nowhere to put it. So if I find, if I happen to pick up a shield or boots that has a blue slot, I'm like, perfect, I'll wear those yeah. because now I can put my blue gem in there and give me this thing, right? Now I get the benefit of this blue gem. And that meant that it was no longer about me playing a looter shooter or like a Diablo looter game, right? Where I'm picking up all my gear to get money to buy better gear. It instead became finding the item that allowed me to use the things that I wanted to use that I've already picked up or already determined was valuable. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it because it wasn't about just stockpiling money to get more expensive stuff. It was about making the idea that we're on this island of exiles and everything is trash. Everything yeah. is just garbage, yeah. right? But sometimes you find this stuff and it works for what you need at the time. And that means that going back to the passive skill tree, when you level up as a character, all of your passive abilities, all the things that you choose to level up with to gain experience and use those experience points for are just increasing, like we said, your speed by a little bit or your damage by a little bit, right? But everything that you wear and can slot these special gems into is what gives you your powers in the game. So as soon as I got this new special uh, green gem, now I can shoot arrows with acid. I'm like, oh, neat. Okay. And if I find an item that has a green gem connected to another green gem, I can add another green gem. To, so now I've got this acid arrow connected with a faster rate of fire. Yeah. So now I can shoot, or uh, this other green gem that makes it do area of effect damage or something like that, or spread my arrows and I shoot two or three at a time now. So now it became this interesting puzzle to solve of this, how, how can I combine the gems that I have into a neat attack? Yeah. That it's not just me picking an attack that somebody's already designed. It's me piecing together from what I've collected in the world a way to play the character in a way that I find interesting, right? And then at some point I found this other red gem, I think, that I could drop this siege, like arrow shooter thing on the ground and it would shoot at enemies while I was shooting at enemies over on this other side, right? Yeah. Um, and then I could add things to that to augment how that shot and how much damage it did and whatnot. And it became like, like you were saying when I was... I was getting just as engaged in that gem system that up until that time, um, I didn't, I, I just thought it was like, why am I not getting enough money out of this? Gym? Right. I'm just trying to sell as much as I can. Yeah. And it totally changed my perspective on that whole system. It was, it was really fascinating because um, I hadn't, I did a little bit of reading on it in the lore system, but it really, it really made sense when i started playing that way and i was like oh it was like this huge revelation yeah. of that's why these systems are built this way and that was that was like a huge moment and unfortunately that happened after we as a co-op stopped playing together yeah because like you said with the complexity of the game and the depth of the game you couldn't have gotten there i don't think unless you were really keen into that like analyzing your play kind of thing right uh, because it wasn't something the game explicitly told you. Yeah. This is how you should treat gear. Um, I don't think I could have got there in 
the first 30 minutes or the first hour of play. And we played, what, 90 minutes, two hours maybe? Something like that, yeah. So. Um, but yeah, even for me, like, I just kind of looked at it like, oh, these things have, like, these colored outlines assigned to them. Yeah. I should probably just fill them. Sure. With the color that corresponds to the hole that the gem that it needs. Totally. And then now that I've assigned that, now my guy does something different than he did without the gem, right? Right, right. So even if you look at it like, like I mentioned, I got like this weird satisfaction of like filling all the holes with the right mm -hmm. colored gems. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't look into it as deep as you did, but then I realized, oh, by me filling that out, I've now got a sword that does you know, more damage or right, right. has this extra flare of attack on it or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you start getting into, well, there's this other sword. I have a sword with a green gem, but I just found this sword that has a green and a blue gem mm -hmm. slot. So do I drop the sword that I have now? And then hopefully I come across a blue gem to kind of fill that slot. Right. right. Totally. Um, yeah. It, it's a, it seems like on the surface, such a small hmm. little thing, but um, for some reason it kind of grabbed me Yeah, yeah. Uh, in a weird way. And uh, for me being, you know, the type of player that just kind of looks at it at a very surface level, I still got some satisfaction out of it. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that's, to me, that is, um, that's good design, I guess, yeah. is the best, the easiest way to say it, is that regardless of where you're coming from, the way the design is presented to you as the user, as the player, the user interface, the user experiences, it doesn't matter how deep you go, you're still getting value out of it. And if you want to play on this on a more surface level or even just as a new player, right? Because I wouldn't say so much that you're only concerned in the surface aspect it's just that you didn't have the capacity to go deeper because you just started. This was your first experience, right? Yeah. And you didn't read about this. You didn't watch videos on builds and how to use gems and da 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 da. Just like, oh, a green gem goes in the green hole. Okay. Right. <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah. And there was enough um, telegraphing of that that you're like, oh, I just picked up a red gem. I can't use it. Oh, okay. So I need a thing with a red hole in it. Right? Yeah. Um, and now that becomes um, another form of engagement. And with with the idea of the, the looter games, right? It means that now this loot has value to me in a different way than it did before. Yeah. Right? Um, I, th I think, too, realizing that because the conceit of the game was exiles on an island and the survival thing, when I pieced it together that there's no monetary economy i was like yeah that's right there isn't that's awesome and it was like it fit so much it fit into this the theme yeah and the story and it wasn't just this mechanism that they're like it was just this throwaway thing they're like no this was designed this way because it furthers the atmosphere and the mood and the theme and everything that we're building about this world it's all consistent yeah and that was really uh that was a really compelling idea to me yeah yeah, I I mean overall I was I was pretty impressed. Like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um unfortunately I haven't played 
any more of it just because video games like there's just so much to play right now sure um and especially sure. kind of getting back into pc gaming <laughs> there's just so much stuff i want to try and sample and um it's crazy that we live in a time where we can play <laughs> a game of this quality for free yeah um like even within those two hours i wasn't really prompted to buy anything right, or make right. a purchase I don't know when that kicks in, if that's more of just kind of like the season kind of stuff. Um, so the the way, because I saw a few little pop-ups in like some of the chat notification things about, yeah. hey, we were running a sale on these types of items. And then when I went to the hub zones, sometimes you'd see a person and they had huge wings on their back or something like that. And then you make the connection that, oh, the sales on wings. So there's these cosmetic items that people can make their characters look the way they want. Yeah. And that's a real money purchase. And that's, that's awesome. Right. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't bombarded with ads and I think it was similar. Remember Warframe on how they had this whole, it was kind of the shop system Yeah. Right? where if you went in through this one, this one area, then now you can buy all this stuff. And I feel like this game is the same. It's just, if memory serves, it didn't present itself as upfront as Warframe did. Yeah. So maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, or maybe like you say, maybe we just didn't get to a certain point where that becomes more apparent. I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure. Um, how do you feel about like, like you play Heroes of the Storm quite quite frequently sure. and I know you've said to me like that game's free to play and um like have you spent money in that game or cuz I know you said you've played it enough where you've kind of unlocked the things that Yeah, yeah. You would So there was times earlier in in the in the big patch Heroes 2.0 is where they kind of reset the in-game economy and they changed some of the the loot drop system they added loot boxes and all this kind of stuff um and before that they had gold and they had gems and gold allowed you to unlock characters and buy certain things in the game that were cosmetic I, mostly with skins and mounts so things that you could ride on and then things to make your character look a bit different right and then you'd unlock heroes with this gold. And then you would use gems to purchase things with real money. So if you didn't get enough gold from playing, then you could just buy things outright. So at that stage of the game, um, I've dropped money in loot chests uh, to give Christmas gifts to friends and stuff like that. I'm like, hey, I play with this group of people and at Christmas time, I'm going to spend a few bucks for each person and throw some free loot chests at them. Right. right? So I've done that. So yes, I've, I've spent money on the game in that way. I've never bought things for myself. Uh, before this loot chest system came in, I was going to spend some money on some skins. And I got on this Twitch channel thing and I ended up winning like this prize, which gave, and you know, I got free skins and I got all this awesome stuff. And then when they swapped over to, Heroes 2.0, because based on my timeline, I've kind of, I feel like I got in it at like the perfect time. Um, I had played enough that when they swapped over, they're like, hey, based on your level, 
here's all this extra free stuff that if we were using this system when you started playing, you would have gotten. Right. So let's just give it all to the the people that have been here longer. Like, yeah. you know, like normally in say uh, Rogers or Telus or people where you have phone plans, right? All the promotions are for the people that have never been with the company before, yeah. right? And all the people who are on the current phone plans that have been paying X amount of dollars per month for however many years, there's no, no extra value for them, no added value, no benefit, not even really like other than maybe at the end of an invoice, thanks for your business, right? Yeah. But there's no active participation or promotion for the people that have been with you the whole time. So when I got all that stuff from Heroes, just because I had played the game and never had access to it before this release, the fact that I got so much stuff, I was like, this is fantastic. But since then, because of the amount of stuff that I have in the game and the amount that I play it, I've never ever felt that I, um, I've never not had access to the things I wanted. So even now I have enough gold to buy the next hero that comes out. I have enough of this third material called shards that allow me to buy customizations. And then because you unlock gems, which is the real money currency, um, I have enough to buy with real money, air quotes, right? Yeah. Um, anything else that I want. And I've got enough of it in my account that putting money into it would just up those numbers. It wouldn't get me more stuff because I have everything that I want at this right. point. It would just make those numbers go higher. So that's why I'm okay with buying my friend's loot chest. Yeah. But I have no, absolutely no need to put it into the game myself. Right. Right. If that makes sense. So hypothetically, what if, um, say, they didn't reward you as much for playing this game? Yeah. Um, what would you be willing to pay for? Right, right. That, like, like, what would you, like, given the amount of hours that you've put into this game, Sure. Uh, what would force you to put your hand in your pocket and say, you know, would it be a character or a skin? Um, do you even care about cosmetic things? So I really like the cosmetic things. I, there's some of the skins that I'm just such a fan of that yeah. as soon as they drop, I use the resources that I have already in my account to just grab them. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think, and this is more personality based and based on, you know, my feeling towards finances and income and all this kind of thing that I'm more on the side of loss aversion. If at some point, um, and this, this would be devastating, but if they're like, you know, this game, we need to do this kind of support thing or we're not going to be able to continue it. That's where I would put the money. In. Right. Absolutely. Right. Um, where, and, and I'm probably, I don't think I'm the right person to talk to when it comes to a free to play model because I'm not a whale, right? Yeah. I'm I've not a that person term. that yeah. throws a ton of cash at a game. Um, because I enjoy the game. Yeah. There's not a lot in the cosmetics part of it that is really enough for me to buy into, right? Um, and even when it comes to, like you said earlier, with so many games available, it's really difficult for me to be like, okay, I'm going to drop 80 bucks on the newest AAA game. Yeah. Because um, I could buy last year's AAA game for like a fraction, a small fraction of that price. Yeah. And I haven't played it yet because there's all these other games. Right? Yeah. So... That's kind of where I am when it comes to purchasing games. And I know 
I'm an outlier in that state because I know a lot of other people that don't think anything like that. You know, friends that I play the game with. Uh, there's people that I play with where it's like, uh, as soon as the skin comes out, they'll they'll drop their thirty bucks and get the gems they need so they can buy it, and that's that. That's yeah. just the thing that they do. Yeah. Or friends who play this game, who I play this game with, who also play WoW, so they're subscribing to it on a regular basis. Right. Right. And that's just not something I've ever really, really done when it comes to video games. Yeah, I think I'm in a similar boat. Like, I've been playing a lot of Apex Legends. Hmm. And uh, they have a kind of a similar system where, you know, they'll release different skins every week that right. you can purchase with real game or real money or um, you can purchase with your in-game kind of currency. Um, or you can unlock those through loot boxes that, you know, you'll get when you level up and stuff. Right. Um, but because I've played enough of that game... I've kind of unlocked some skins for the character that I play yeah. that um, are pretty in my eyes. Like, like I, I see why people would buy cosmetic items because there is something about like, okay, I've played this game for a long time. I haven't spent money on it. And uh, having this unique look to the character that I play kind of sure. makes me feel good. Sure. Yeah. And, um, it's, yeah, it's kind of my way of kind of paying back for, for all this free time that I've had right. playing your game. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't like, I've never reached a point in a game where I've, put down money for a cosmetic item. Mm. Um, the only, th yeah, the, I, it's always just been unlocked through me playing. Right. The only game that I can think of was I was into Fortnite for right, right. a short period of time. And I ended up putting some money down on like their battle pass thing. Okay. Which um, gave me, that more gave me incentive to just keep playing because it unlocked cosmetic items that I wouldn't receive. Mm. So it was more of a, just a perk of me playing more of the game that I was enjoying playing at the right, time. Right. Um, which I guess is what these kind of uh, microtransaction battle pass things kind of tend sure. to yeah. tend to do. But um yeah, I think typically I kind of fall in the same boat as, you know, I don't think I would go out of my way to pay for a skin, but mm. I would play more of your game to unlock mm. a skin or something. So that like grinding. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Interesting. Which I've definitely done with Apex. Um, I think one weekend they had like a limited time event where if you got, I think it was like if you finished top five in five matches um you got this pretty badass bloodhound skinned okay and bloodhound was my my go-to character sure, sure. so it's like i need that skin yeah cause, yeah yeah because this is something i could probably do in a weekend right uh but it requires me playing a lot of this game yeah, yeah. which isn't necessarily a bad thing right because right. i enjoy playing it so yeah and that's that's what i find interesting about it is that if you if you like playing the game the value you're getting out of that is the gameplay experience. Yeah. 
So that's why the idea of grinding for a cosmetic, I'm not playing the game because of the cosmetic, because I was playing it and enjoying it before I even knew that cosmetic existed. Yeah. So, and I will continue to play it no matter whether the next skin is something I like or not. So that has never been a huge incentive for me to play a game. Um, I get so much other value out of the gameplay that I will continue to come back. And that's why if there was the chance that that gameplay would be removed from me because of the value I'm getting out of it, I would pay to keep being able to play. Yeah. Now, that is not a good business model because most people in that case would be like, dead game, move on. Right? right. And you hear that all the time in the in the forums and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Especially when they canceled their um specifically with heroes, they canceled their heroes global championship, like their esports kind of thing. Um but even with things like uh Apex or there's a lot of uh there's a lot of in-game economies with free-to-play games so that you know you can buy your loot chest or you can buy this or buy that. One of the things they do in heroes is Every time you level up um, a hero, that gives them, like, they go through levels, you know, numerically, one, two, three, four, five, whatever, right? Um, and at every stage, it unlocks a regular, just a common loot chest, right? And then at certain levels, so say hero level 10 or 20 or whatever, it unlocks higher versions of these loot chests. Yeah. Um, and then each of those hero levels contributes to you unlocking your own account levels, so that's that's where each of those levels is getting you these loot chests, right? And then at certain tiers of your own account level, so like level 500, you get a special loot chest or whatever, right? And that's where you get some gems, which is their real money system. Yeah. So one thing that they sell for real money is boosts, and that just gives you more XP. And an interesting thing that they did with it, the, the idea being that if I'm going to be playing the game anyway, by having a boost and getting more XP for the game that I'm playing already... I'm getting more loot chests more frequently, right? But what's an, an interesting thing they did about it was boosts now affect not just you, but they give a small boost to everybody that's playing with you. So every, you play in a uh, 5v5, right? So every, nine other people are now getting like a 5% boost because you bought a thing that's giving you a bonus. Hmm. So now at the beginning of every match, you're like, this person, this person, this person are giving you XP bonuses. And you're like, hey, that's awesome, right? So now there's this kind of social um, factor to it, where if I do this, I'm also kind of improving everybody else's experience. Right. And I thought that was a really interesting incentive. But again, it's not, um, in that case, I'm not buying cosmetics. I'm buying the chance of getting more cosmetics, which I think is a really interesting yeah. way to look at that problem. But to bring it back to uh, Path of Exile, again, it's very much about cosmetics in that. Yeah. is from what I can tell, like the wings and the pets and all this kind of thing. And I don't think, because that game also has a PvP element, right? Right. I don't think that those types of buys have any effect on gameplay, on mechanics, on uh, power levels or anything like that. And I think it's just a way, when you consider that when you log into the game, you pick from one of six characters, I think that's how many there were, you can't customize them at all. The only way they're customized, and I thought I thought at hero creation or character creation, right, that I'd be able to say, okay, I want to play the witch, but I want it to be a dude. Or I want I want the warrior to be a woman, right? right. But I couldn't do that. Or I want the, 
the warrior to be a woman and have different color skin or something like that. Yeah. But I couldn't do anything like that. It was just, this is what they look like. Full stop. Right. Yeah. So the idea of cosmetics in that game make even more sense because it sets you apart. Right? Yeah. Not only is the loot that you find in the world, uh, this is what my helmet looks like. This is what my sword looks like. My, you know, this is what it looks like when I cast my abilities. All of that stuff sets you apart visually, but now I also have wings or now I'm floating on a cloud or now whatever, right? And it's like, oh, that's awesome. So yeah. when somebody else sees that, you're like, you're playing the same game that I'm playing and you have this cool looking thing. Yeah. I want that too. And it's what? It's only a few bucks? That's awesome. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Fortnite did exactly the, well, I'm sure many of these yeah. free-to-play games do the yeah. same thing where... Yeah, it, there is something about, you know, when you're kind of kitted out in the default kind of, you know, base character. Right. And then you see the the guy running around with, you know, laser wings or whatever. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, man, that looks really cool. Right, I, I want to be sure. I want to be like that guy and have yeah. the, the cool laser wings. Or, it's, it's funny because in, in Heroes, they have uh, like they have cosmetic uh skin for the character yeah but that you can also change the mount the the horse or the vehicle or yeah. whatever that you're riding and there's always the noob horse right there's always the the brown horse that everybody rides in in the first game they yeah. played and there's one character that's like this um uh from the starcraft series this alien protoss guy right and one of his skins turns him into a mechanized uh airplane like transformers mecha transformers right? right so normally when your character mounts they go into this animation then hop on their horse and then they have they travel out on their horse yeah whereas this guy transforms into an airplane and like flies right which is awesome that's yeah. part that's built into the skin but there's a glitch for some reason and i'm not sure why or where it comes up but sometimes this the character's name is tassar sometimes that skin sort of resets so that instead of mounting up on into a plane version he just jumps on the noob horse and it's really funny because you like we know you have the awesome skin yeah but you're not getting the full value out of it because it's not transforming the way it should right. be it's this little bug and you're riding it in your noob horse and then there's always whenever that happens to this character when they're in play like everybody in chat's like noob horse and they're just making fun of it because yeah. it's funny right yeah and you know they're like oh why i forgot to do xyz or whatever right, right. But it's just one of those things where people notice those cosmetics. People notice when you've got something, the laser wings, or they notice when you've got, you know, the run-of-the-mill stuff, and they can tell you're a new player. Or, or like, even the comment, you've never played X before, have you? Or you've never tried this character before yeah. because of the way they look and the horse that they're riding. Yeah. And it's it's just one of those things that becomes um, a point, like a reference point for your your level or your experience with the game or with that character or with whatever based on the way that you present in the game yeah yeah man free to play games um <laughs> i like on one hand i'm i'm happy that we have like a selection of these games to play hmm. and i think it's something we'll we'll continue to kind of explore sure um because especially on the PC, there's just so much free-to-play stuff. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm glad that, you know, video games have got to a point where 
these games can kind of sustain and live on right. and support themselves and allow for, you know, people like you and me to, to play, like they very well could have sold this game mm. at a, at a price, right. like the qualities there. Um, but it, it's pretty cool that we live in a day and age where we can play such high quality games for, mm-hmm. for essentially free. Yeah. And, uh, like on a competitive level, everyone's kind of even, I mean, beyond kind of like learning skills sure. and, and stuff. But I think as long as these games kind of stick to more cosmetics as kind of the way that they earn money, mm-hmm. um, cause yeah, the last thing I would want is, well, that guy paid more than me yeah, yeah, and he's now has a weapon that's 10 times stronger, right? Instead of free to play, it's pay to win. Pay to win. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I hope that, you know, I hope there still continues to be a market where you plunk down your money for a game and that's kind of it. Sure. Um, I guess it's a tricky balance because even games that we that we pay $60, $50 for, yeah, yeah. Um, like they're still literally littering them with kind of these free-to-play things, right? Mm-hmm. So now the lines become a little blurred of like, well, I paid $60 for this game, but you're still selling me cosmetic stuff, whereas right. this or game's free. content or... or yeah. 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 Um, and I think for a while it seems like people or companies were kind of abusing that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was that Star Wars game that came out, got a lot of flack for for doing that. I think there were certain characters that were locked behind a paywall. Gotcha. Even though you spent money on this game. Right. Um, and I guess with these kind of mechanics, everyone's still kind of figuring out what's kind of the right thing to do as far as charging. Yeah. Yeah. You know, paying for a game versus these free to play games. So it, it is interesting because if you go back a decade or more, uh, free to play started coming out in the MMO space, right? That was, that's where the like Warcraft, the moneymaker was right. So if people are making games in the space, then other people will move into that space. That's, that's how trends and stuff works, whether it's video games or film or whatever. Right. Um, but it was often seen as a bad word because it had so much negative connotation around it. And at the time, a lot of the free-to-play market was coming out of Asian countries and Asian developers, which had this whole other negative connotation, whether it was true or not. Right? Yeah. Um, and now it's got to a state where you have a Fortnite, you have Apex, you have uh, MOBAs, um, um, League of Legends and, and Dota, these are all free to play, right? And it's been it's become such a staple of the industry, if I want to use that word, that people don't think about it in the same way anymore and it doesn't have the negative connotations. But people know when they're being taken advantage of. Yeah. Right? People know like that that little article I saw the other day that um uh EA's use of loot boxes isn't bad because they're not quote unquote loot boxes. They're this other thing. They're like uh, surprise mechanics. Yeah. I think yeah. It was something called. like yeah. that. And it's like, come on, really? Yeah. Like you, you can't argue your way out of that. Right. Um, the point is, is that um, 
it comes down to people trying to find ways to keep their player base engaged in their property, right? And this this can be a brand thing where it's like Star Wars IP and, and now we release all these Star Wars games because people love Star Wars. Um, or it can be um, a system where you, you get you get more stuff for showing up, right? Yeah. For logging in, for putting in your time. And that makes sense. I think it totally makes sense, especially when you consider, like we've said a few times already tonight, um, how much is in the market right now. And if you find something that works for you and you're enjoying it and you're playing it and uh, just keep going, like enjoy it, whether, the, whether you're paying for something off the shelf, whether you're pre-ordering something, whether you find a free-to-play and it's a mobile game, like if you're getting value out of it, then all power to you, right? Like enjoy the thing, be present in the moment. I mean, don't neglect your responsibilities. You know, you can go too far with this kind of, with games in general, right? Because there's these addictive elements. That's why the surprise mechanics or the the loot boxes. In some places, people are talking about them in terms of like uh, gambling, right? And For people sure, having gambling yeah. issues and stuff like this, and bringing in legislation. We don't want loot boxes and all this kind of thing. But I think. Um, People know when they're being taken advantage of and people know when developers do things for the sole purpose of just trying to like suck more money out. Yeah. Um, and that's why going back to Path of Exile, the fact that not only has this game been out since 2013, um, even before that alphas, betas and stuff like that, um, but they continue to release new content on a very consistent schedule um, quarterly without any cost involved to the player base and when i watched a recent gdc talk by like one of the lead designers or creative directors or whatever of the their their business grinding gears and their player base is consistently growing yeah year over year they have more players than they did when they started and that's not something that you can say for a game that you pay 60 dollars off the shelf for because that support is not there right they're not building um a game that is supposed to be in the market for 10 years or 20 years or whatever. They're not building a lifetime game. They're just building their, their experience and that's the end of it. And that's yeah. okay. Right. Cause movies are, there's so much forms of entertainment that are exactly like that. And that's totally fine. But I, I really respect what they're doing with path of exile and that they've found a system that works for them for their player base and still they're bringing in new people yeah it's not just this attrition thing where it's like we're just keeping our core and i don't care about anybody else they're still making it accessible there's there's still mechanisms that you can take at different levels of involvement different levels of engagement and i'm i'm really really impressed yeah although even you saying that like even these you know triple a 60 games if mm -hmm. we want to just call them that um, even those now are getting treated more as like a service, right? right like, uh, right. I'm sure you've heard the term like games as a service, yeah. um, you know, with season passes yes. and, yes. uh, like they're trying very hard to, to do the best that they can from making you not trade your game into EB Games or GameStop or wherever, right? Right, right. They want you to hold on to that disc. And that continued engagement, right? And continued engagement. Yeah. So you do spend money on cosmetics or right. loot boxes or whatever. Um, 
I just wonder, will games, like, will we get to a point where these, like, free-to-play games, like, the quality is getting so much better where the audience just isn't going to want to spend mm. money on a retail game, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I watch, do you, you know, Extra Credits, uh, they do YouTube content primarily about video games, but it, lately it's been branching into a lot of, a, like, history and all this kind of yeah. stuff, which I think is great. Um, they did a recent episode, or recent to me anyway, I don't know how old it is, right? Because there's so much content out there. But on the idea of how are games really this expensive or how, how expensive are video games to make really kind yeah. of thing. And the idea that they're getting at is that there's no way that game companies today can put in the, the, the man hours or people work hours, right? Um, on the time constraints that they have to release this content at the size that they're making these things. Like these are million dollar, these, these are costing more than Hollywood movies sometimes, right? Yeah. Um, and still sell them for $60. They just can't do it. It's not feasible because games haven't increased in the price in the marketplace in the same way that the costs in every other inflation and all this kind of stuff. It just hasn't kept up with it. Yeah. So when you try to get somebody, if you tried to get somebody to buy your game for 100 or 120, which might be closer to the real cost value ratio of it, people aren't going to pay for that. Right. So they need to find other ways to monetize it. And that's where free to play has a huge advantage because that's built into the model of it. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's part of the understanding that we are going to find if we have a larger player base, right? And the barrier to entry is pretty much zero because it's a free to play game. Um, there are some people who are going to spend far more than $120 on a game in their lifetime value. Right? Yeah. And there's people that are going to spend less. I'm, I'm an example of that, right? Um, but if that's part of the model of it, we're not selling it for $120, but people are paying $120. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at it because if we can no longer get the games, we like the single player experiences that we want for the price we want it at, there's going to have to be other ways to deliver that. Because people still want to make these games and even the indie scene. Like if it's not a triple A company making those big, big blockbuster single player experiences anymore, somebody else is going to pick up that flag. Right? right. It's going to happen because those are experiences that people are looking for. Interactive, cinematic, right? Those single player things that you're not seeing in the, in the free to play market. No. Right. So I think, I don't think those types of experiences will go away but it, there's going to come a time where you won't be able to i don't think you'll be able to buy it in the same way or at least not for the same price as it has right been, without a, a market shift or some sort of a sea change yeah where it's like this this has to this has to be different because this is not sustainable yeah and i don't know what that looks like going forward you know when we talk about google stadia and some new, you know, the new announcements for the new uh, consoles and stuff like this. There's some, like, there's going to be shifts, right? Yeah. Just like we saw the free-to-play shift from something that was negative and nobody liked it to something that is so uh, ubiquitous. Yeah. Right? Um, and it it won't happen overnight, 
but at some point somebody's going to make a change with how they do AAA, and then it's it's going to trickle down and that's just going to be the way it is for sure yeah interesting times we live in uh for sure it's crazy yeah to think when we started playing games to what it is now and definitely what it will be in the future it's it's pretty exciting and also a little bit scary but um yeah, I guess with that said, do you, is there anything else to bring it back to Path of Exile to say? Um, try the game. Yeah. It's, it's free. Um, it is, I mean, it's a big game. And just realize that you don't have to understand everything about the game to just, you know, click click on some monsters and, and kill them and pick yeah. up the loot. Like, that's where it can start. And if that's like your play experience, James, if that's if it doesn't get much further than that, you can still have a good time doing it for a few hours. And yeah. Check it out every once in a while or see what the new league is like. Or maybe there's something compelling about the next release that they do that grabs your attention story-wise or monster-wise or something. Yeah. But yeah, definitely give it a shot. It's totally worth trying it out. Yeah. Someone um, who you know generally doesn't gravitate, gravitate towards these type of games... I would agree. Um, I would say if this looks a little overwhelming, um, I know that Diablo 3, I think like the first like 10 or 15 levels, you can actually mm. play for free. Right. Um, and by levels, I mean the leveling of your character. Gotcha. Um, so if Path of Exile seems a bit daunting, I might recommend Diablo 3 as mm. kind of like a gate, the gateway game, I guess. Right, right. Um, and then, yeah, if you want something a bit more and you don't want to spend money on purchasing the full Diablo game, right. um, check out Path of Exile. I think it's, uh, I think it's a good like next step. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a game like time permitting. I would love to go back to and play either, you know, by myself or, Sure. joining up again with you um yeah. i've kept it on my on my hard drive just for that reason yeah i i've had a lot of fun with it and uh if i can get through these sea of free-to-play games that um i want to try um maybe i'll kind of pop up outside the other end and get back to it but sure yeah i guess that's that's where we'll leave it at that with uh, path of exile indeed go give it a shot um, as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate your ears. Um, I don't know when we'll be returning to the video content, but um, I've been uploading some stuff to our YouTube channel. Right. Um, I've been uh, recently uploaded uh, Gears of War 5, had a little beta test. Hmm. Um so I uploaded some gameplay of me just kind of chatting about that as I was playing it. Um, I also did a little video on uh, the other game that I've been playing is uh, Mario Maker 2. Some and I've kind that. of been diving into some of the level creation. So I might do some more of that. Nice. Um, but yeah, hopefully we can get the video stuff going again. And hopefully without any technical hiccups. Um But until then, for all the information on that and everything else that we do, uh, you can go to Second Player 
pressstart.com. And that second player two with the number two, second two ND dot second player pressstart.com. And uh, yeah, as always, I'll close off the show uh, by saying good night, Darren. Good night, James. <laughs>